0: Here we go. Hello, I'm Lise Wilcox, and you're listening to To Call Myself Beloved, the podcast with Lise Wilcox. This is the place to be to find clarity in what you want, confidence in who you are, and the courage to stay true to both. Hello, lovely, and welcome back to the show. I think we're on episode seven of To Call Myself Beloved, the podcast with Lise Wilcox. And I could not be happier that you have chosen to spend this half an hour with me. I love that. Um, this podcast doesn't really make any sense unless there's somebody to listen to it. So I'm I'm really happy that you're here so listen, i'm not I'm not shy about this. Um, I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to podcasting. It is kind of like, well, here's what I'm really passionate about. Um, I have learned as a professional human, as somebody who basically talks to people for a living, that whatever I am feeling, I am not feeling in isolation. It is definitely a shared human experience we are all having, but some of us are just more reluctant to talk about it. And when we're reluctant to talk about it, we start to hide and bury things, which gives them more power by us not being able to name them. And, you know, a huge intention of this podcast is to open up those conversations. Um, The first few episodes, as you may or may not know if you've listened to them. Maybe you want to go back and listen to them now. I don't know. Um, I would recommend that you do. Uh, They're they're really heavy on this process that I call emotional alchemy. You know, really, really getting clear on your self-awareness and on processing your emotions to come to this place of deep, secure inner peace through emotional freedom. And I always think that this like process of self-discovery and self-awareness kind of kind of rolls out in phases. And um, the next major phase is after you name it, after you get clear and feel it, it's time to start thinking about, okay, what am I going to do with all of this? And that's, that's really the nature of my coaching as well. It's like, let's get very, very clear on how you feel, what the blocks are, how we process that, where you've come from. And let's figure out what the hell do we do with this now. And so for the next few episodes, I'm going to shift the focus in that direction. You know, we've caught we've got some emotional clarity. we've got some understanding on where our patterns of behavior come from. Let's really start to talk about what that looks like in a practical and applied way. And one of the most poignant areas that has manifested uh, itself in my own life, which means I know I'm not the only one in this, um, is my relationship to alcohol. So this week, we are talking about how to not drink alcohol and still have a good time. I like to say that I have appointed myself the president of hashtag club soda. (laughs) I, um, I will preface that by saying, I love drinking. I love alcohol. And I am not talking about like, oh, you know, mama needs a glass of Pinot Grigio every now and then. We're going to get to mommy wine culture in a minute. Um, I love alcohol. I love liquor. I could go on about my favorite kinds of dark rum in the country of origin. Um, bourbon. I, like, I love the good stuff. And that in itself is already a slippery slope, and I've only been able to realize that in hindsight, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, when I first got the hint that I might have cancer, when I really just thought it was precancerous, cancerous even that was scary enough on its own, right? I was at a cottage with my family and my wonderful aunts and uncles were there, and when I told them the news that I'd had this phone call that was like... Uh, It was a misdiagnosis at first and it was like, whatever, not important for here for this show. But in any case, I got this phone call with a physician. I told my aunts what was going on. And one of my aunts was like, you have to stop drinking, period. And it was as if this little switch went off. It just like flicked itself off. It was like, I am totally done with booze. I've heard people tell me this same story when it comes to their diet, uh, particularly vegetarians, that they'll say it was as if a switch just went off and like, just like that, they stopped eating meat and they never went back. I never understood how that could be a reality, I never understood how that could be true until I had this experience, you know, standing in that cottage near Renfrew, Ontario and just having this profound awareness that like, oh yeah, wow, that chapter has come to an end. So initially, you know, I've, I've alluded the past few months on Instagram that I am completely sober and that I don't drink anymore and that I would, you know, get to the explanation of why and only now do I really feel ready to talk about this publicly. Um, but yeah, we were sitting there in the cottage, a switch just went off and technically I did this for health purposes, right? Which is what people always ask. They're like, well, I got to ask you, did you do this because of cancer? In the beginning, I totally did. I took it very seriously and I was like, I know there has been some link between um, excessive alcohol and uh, increased cancer cell production, so I'm not going to take any chances and I'm just not going to drink anymore. But it was so interesting. You know, there's this expression uh, in the sober light of day. I really felt like that about my life. When I got to this like sober light of day in my life, I was able to start looking with enhanced clarity at the relationship I had to alcohol. And I really think it was unhealthy. You know, when I look back in hindsight, I see how for so many years, I used alcohol as a coping mechanism. I used it as a tool to helped me uh, tune things out of my life. I used it. I, I reached for it in uh, in times of comfort and in need. In terms of you know emotional deniability, is that a word? When I didn't want to feel certain things, I would just drink more. When I didn't want to deal with, with with I just didn't want to deal with stuff, I would just drink more. When I felt lonely and isolated, I'd get a bunch of people together that I barely knew under the guise of hey. We can drink more, and then everybody shows up, right? And I've had people also since finding out that I am totally sober. Um, like i I think drugs are dumb, like I don't do drugs, I don't smoke. Um, I've cut out so many bad <laughs> habits in my life. Um, when people find out that like alcohol has been a big one that uh, that I just don't drink, they always want to know a little bit more and and I'm glad because, as I said, I love having this conversation, and it's one. Especially with booze, that I don't think we have enough, particularly for women. Um, alcohol is like really bad for you, really, really bad for you. And you know, there's always this. This somebody will always ask me, like, "Well, don't you think you might just drink a little bit? Like, can you just maybe have one glass of wine, or can you have a cocktail?" And I guess the the, the scary thing for me is like, yeah, I guess I could, but I don't really see the point. <laughs> I don't want a glass of champagne. I want the whole bottle of champagne. You know, I don't want to make a Negroni. I want to make like 7 Negronis and drink them all night. And I don't think that's healthy. That is that is binge drinking for sure. And for women, our bodies like process alcohol differently and we handle alcohol differently and it's just it's so unhealthy. And that's just on the physical level on the emotional level the spiritual level the decision making level we get to like next level territory of how this really negatively impacts our life and unfortunately how this is the most socially acceptable addiction you can have again i will say this very very honestly with with great compassion without judgment, like seriously without judgment and with layers of compassion, because I have a feeling there are going to be a lot of people listening who really resonate with this. I think there is a huge percentage of our population walking around as functional alcoholics. So let's unpack that for a minute. You know, when you think about what an alcoholic is, What's the first thing that comes to mind? For me, it's it's actually a scene out of DeGrassi. I think I honestly think this is where I first had this image um, kind of planted in my brain. But when I think of alcoholism or somebody who is an alcoholic, um, I think like, well, you've reached that point where you're hiding vodka in the toilet tank. Like that must mean you have a real problem. I think that almost worse than that is when you have people who, uh, you know, we're adults, we're parents, we're whatever, we can't get together without booze. We can't have a Friday or a Saturday night without booze. We use alcohol as the reason to get together. We use alcohol alcohol as the reason we can cope with our families at Christmas. We use use alcohol as the reason we can stay in bad relationships or to enable really unhealthy uh, sexual encounters that we're about to have, right? We use alcohol in this really abusive way and we become dependent on that. So, What I mean by that is like, think about what a a dependency really is. I'm not talking about, you know, your body really starts to rely on it. For some people who have really tipped the scales uh, in terms of their relationship to alcohol, yes, your body can develop a reliance on it to the point that you go through withdrawal if you're not drinking. That That is like one far end of the spectrum. What I am talking about is this gray area that precedes that. And suddenly... Your social life is dependent on alcohol. Your friendships are dependent on alcohol. Your foreplay is dependent on alcohol. That is a problem. And that is not like, oh, a couple of people are experiencing that. I can tell you from you know the social circles I've been in, that I've been a part of just as a casual observer in my own life, a lot of people have that as their reality. And again, to be very clear, I am not sitting in judgment of this, I am sitting in observation of this. Because when we start to observe those patterns of behavior, I, the nerd, start to ask, well, why? Like, Why are we doing this? Why do we rely on alcohol so much? Well, the, sh- the, like, the straight up and short answer is because it's really, really fun. Getting drunk is really, really fun. I'm not denying that. There is nothing like this, you know, alcohol is this like social lubrication that if you are not having a good time, chances are you can make yourself have a good time if you just get a couple drinks together. I think it's much bigger than that. I think if that is your mentality and you're in, you know, a room with a whole bunch of other people who share that mentality, then you're really just like infusing your drink with that intention. So it might not actually be the booze that's getting you to have a good time. It's the intention of like, hey, when I drink this, I have a good time. Therefore, your brain is like programmed to get into a super fun version of you mode with just a couple drinks in your system. Um, In reality, I think this, as I said, is this culturally supported addiction. You know, I live in Ontario and... Certainly for us, it's a government-owned business. The only, Really the only place, I guess you can start to get it more in grocery stores now. Um, again, where I live, I know all over the U.S. you can buy alcohol in all kinds of different places and even different parts of Canada. You can have uh, even easier access to, to booze at corner stores, et cetera. Um, but again, in Ontario, it's like this this provincially regulated store. We go to a government-owned store to buy our booze. And you know they produce a free, beautiful magazine that like is celebrate. They always have a warning at the the beginning to not overconsume and not uh, drive drunk, etc. But really, this magazine is a celebration of alcohol. You know, nowhere are we seeing magazines that are like high production, super high quality, with great writing and great art direction celebrating cocaine like that doesn't exist that's like a that's a a shameful habit to have right quote-unquote like we got to push that away because that's a really dangerous habit we don't want to talk about that nobody's producing heroin stores where you can go in and like get this provincially or federally regulated grade a heroin to use nope that's a shameful habit we got to push that down to the dregs but alcohol is like you know what it's your birthday have a drink it's your wedding anniversary, have a drink. Hey, it's your wedding, have a drink. It's your baby's birthday, let's get together and have a drink. Like everything we do that is quote unquote worth celebrating involves alcohol. And that seems very weird to me. Um, at the time, it didn't seem weird to me at all. It just seemed like my cultural reality. Um, because I, I, love, I love the taste of drinking. I love the ritual of drinking. Um, I love cooking for friends and family. And so, you know, I used to go on wine sourcing trips where I wherever I would travel or I'd deliberately travel to different places, source a bunch of wine and bring it home and plan a dinner party around that. That sounds really harmless. It sounds really really harmless, right? Like it, that's just kind of a cool ha- hobby to have until it tips the scales and you realize that your only social life, your only your only social rituals are dependent on alcohol being present. Um, as you probably know, I have three little girls. Um, and during pregnancy, that was my first foray into sober living, obviously. And I remember sitting with my my first pregnancy, I remember going to sit on a patio with friends, uh, you know, like prime patio season in Toronto. It's that beautiful May, June weather when everybody is like off work early because you just can't believe how nice it is and you just want to hang out on the patio. So there we are doing our due diligence. And everybody around me is drinking and I'm just drinking water. And I remember the server kept asking me, like, you know, she'd come to the table and ask everybody if they want another round. And of course, everybody drinking cocktails and beer is like, yeah, another round. And she would offer me another round of water. And I would be like, no, because I'm not thirsty, and I, I remember even then thinking how dumb it is that we're all just sitting here drinking when nobody's thirsty. We're just really drinking to get drunk. Weird, it, like it's really weird when you start to disassociate it, uh, disassociate from that. You know, fast forward through that, um, and I, I look at relationships that I've had. I look at really toxic relationships that I've had that as I said kind of in passing, I didn't want to deal with the emotional weight of them, and so I'd have another drink. Because when you're drinking, you can kind of tune it out. It doesn't really seem so bad. Like everything's just a little bit lighter and more fun. Um, When you become aware of that pattern... What you really become aware of is what you're reaching for. Because anytime we do anything in excess, we can call it a reach. You know, we reach for all kinds of things in our life to um, to fill that void. That's essentially what we're doing is that we have a void. It feels really painful. Um, it, we feel like it's going to take a long time to, to fill it up and make it feel whole. Sometimes we don't even believe we can fill it up and make it feel whole. And sometimes it just feels like it would be an impossibility or it would just take way too damn long to to fill that void. And so we start reaching for things. We reach for things like overspending, overshopping, overeating, having random hookups or random sex with people who are not good for us, getting involved in high-risk activities online. We reach for gambling. We reach for drugs. And, oh, man, do we ever reach booze because it's just the easiest thing we can get our hands on. And we can do it in public. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to shame ourselves into it like any number of other things that we reach for. We can just drink with people uh, and it's like a super socially acceptable, if not supported thing to do. That is a problem because anytime we are reaching for something to that degree, we are avoiding the real the real pain, like the, the real... Um, Problem that is begging for a solution, and instead we just keep pouring stuff into it. And guess what? There is a point at which no amount of alcohol that you pour into that void is going to fill it up. No, so we reach for the next thing, right? Like the next more intensive thing. Maybe we reach for more alcohol. Maybe we reach for that concept of you know we go from it's five o'clock somewhere, ha ha ha, pour me a margarita. To well, it's noon somewhere, so. Suddenly that becomes like, well, I mean, we are at brunch and that's 11 o'clock. It's a slippery slope. It is a very slippery slope. And I can tell you that honestly, because I lived that slippery slope and I let myself get pretty low down with it. I I look back and I look at decisions that I made and some of them were really high risk decisions. And I'm really, really lucky that they had no ramifications. Some of them were just really bad decisions. You know, in preparation for this podcast, I was talking to a friend and sharing some of the details about what I was going to put into this content wise. And I was telling her, I remember it was, I was pretty freshly single, maybe, maybe a couple of years after my own divorce. And I was actively dating online. Now what what that really meant to me actively dating online was just like, talk about that was for me, that was another reach of its own, its own caliber. But I remember sitting at this like Awesome little bar in West End Toronto. Like so cozy, so intimate. The vibe was just so good. The lighting was just right, and the music was just right. And I gotta tell you, that is my jam. Like I am a Taurus and I love to feel those creature comforts. And every part of me is feeling like sparked with joy and pleasure because it's such a an awesome experience. Except for my date. (laughs) That's like the one problem that was the one thing that was really missing in this equation is that my date was so boring. You know, there was there were a couple funny things that he said, and that was enough to order another drink or we'd like get talking about one conversation that was just enough to keep us interested. And the server would come over just in time to ask if we'd want another drink. And I, I, I'm gonna be very, very vulnerable with you here. I remember sitting there being like, I am not into this guy at all. However, if I have a couple more drinks, I'll be into him enough to hook up and get on with my life. I can, that was not that long ago. You know, that was like two, three years ago. I cannot believe that was my state of mind, but that was my state of mind. That was this dependency on alcohol that I had. I was so accustomed to feeling this awful void of loneliness. And that was, that's what it was for me. That was the trigger for me. I don't know what it is for other people listening. The trigger for me was loneliness. And that was the void that I was like, I feel lonely. It sucks. I don't want to feel like this anymore. Long term, I'm pretty sure I won't feel lonely anymore, but at the time I do. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to fill this loneliness. And what it took at the time was, you know, some companionship from the dude sitting next to me who wasn't that great. And to enable that um, to happen, all I had to do was drink more. And like alcohol became this enabler for me to make terrible decisions that filled this void. In the short term. And when I look back at that period of my life, I just feel so much empathy for that woman. And I want to put my arms around her and be like, You don't need this. You know, if you are feeling lonely, let's take steps to make you not feel lonely, which of course I have done, right? I have cut all that crap out of my life. And I have been able to get so honest with myself about how I'm feeling and therefore take all of those big, beautiful steps towards the way I want to feel instead of how I was feeling and then really avoiding the the scary feelings of how I didn't want to feel as well. That's like a lot of use of the word feeling in one sentence, I know, so bear with me. But I want you to really think about what that means, that as I said, for me, it was loneliness, this void that I just didn't think would ever be full. And that wasn't like a fleeting loneliness. That was a loneliness I had felt probably my entire life, if I'm being really honest. And I had learned in my 20s that a, a quick trick to fill that loneliness was to drink. Because as I said earlier, when you're drinking, it's fun it's social. Everybody's having a good time. It starts to get, you know, the lights go down. It's getting darker outside. The music's going up and suddenly it's like, yeah, let's get another drink. And you kind of feel like there's this camaraderie that everybody's in it together. You're kind of pushing the limits of what is socially okay but you're doing it together and it's fun like you're having a good time the conversations are getting a little bit spicier they're getting a little more risque you're developing this like false sense of intimacy with people around you and it feels great so again if for example your trigger is loneliness suddenly you've created an environment in which you no longer feel lonely But that becomes this dragon that you are chasing and chasing because eventually you've had enough to drink, you go to bed, you do your thing, you wake up the next day, you probably feel like crap, not only physically from a hangover, but you also wake up feeling this like backdraft of loneliness. It's like all the alcohol has been poured out of your system again and so now it's like this double void of this crushing this crushing feeling that you were drinking to forget in the first place. And as I said, that that's my own example. That's my own experience. If this resonates for you, maybe it's like a, a different capacity. It's a different trigger. It's a different drug of choice, whatever it is. We are having the same experience though. We're having those feelings that we don't want to have. And so instead of doing the hard work to get really real with them, we reach for stuff that'll make us feel better in the short term. And my like overarching point here is that alcohol is a really, really easy way to numb that pain. And I think it's really wrong. I think it's it's like really marketed to us to be this cure-all. Listen to so I, I listen to um, a lot of new country music mostly cuz I love cowboys and you know some of it I can't even listen to anymore songs like ain't nothing that a beer can't fix I'm like we are we are all supported to become functional alcoholics to develop this relationship this dependent relationship on booze and that's not okay with me if there are any parents listening especially mothers some of you are not going to like what I have to say I've written about this before. I've participated in a lot of um, social media um, uh, with respect to this kind of content or engaged with a lot of social media with respect to this content. And I will tell you, this business of mommy wine culture is a problem. It is a problem because suddenly... And I fed into it for sure. You know, I had three kids in two years and that was really difficult then same thing. Like it was a time in my life when my relationship clearly was not doing well either. There was a, That was like a really, really challenging time in my life. And so I was a big proponent of like, well, all I have to do is get to the end of the day and then I get to have a drink. Or sometimes, you know, we'd have people over and we'd day drink with kids. And it was just like, that is so problematic in so, so many ways. And it still felt like it was culturally supported because there is this notion that like, well, mama needs her wine and you can find socks that say that on them. You can find t-shirts that say that. Pick up any like book or magazine or Instagram meme and you're very, very, very likely to find that. There is this culture of like, you know, I used to be a part of a book club and it was all moms. And the, the joke was that like absolutely nobody read the book. Everybody just went to drink bottles and bottles and bottles of wine. It was just this excuse to get together on a Tuesday night and get lit. It's not okay. And, you know, the, there are people who I know will have a bad reaction because uh, I've, read, I've read all of these comments online before and I've read reactions to people who start to speak up about women and alcoholism and the negative reaction is like, oh, man, can't you just let us have this one simple pleasure? Why do we always have to, like, rip on moms? That, that's not what this is. This is, again, that simple observation of human behavior that encourages you to ask, Why? Why are we engaging in this behavior? Why does this feel like a good thing to do? What would it look like if we didn't do this thing? You know, how would it feel then? You can start to get very clear just by asking a couple of simple questions. You may not like the answer. You may be very comfortable with the answer for that matter. You might not like the answer that you're going to hear, but eventually you are going to have to ask yourself, why am I doing this and what feeling am I having that's like motivating me towards this direction? Um, the reach, the reach is just a really big point of awareness when you can get very clear on what you're reaching for and why you're reaching for it, suddenly we can start to clear this out in our lives to make better and healthier choices. Maybe you are somebody who is totally able to have a drink now and then with friends that's awesome. A lot of people can do that really healthily. Like they have a beer at the end of the day, they have a beer with friends every now and then, whatever it is, they can have this really healthy detachment from from alcohol. I personally I don't think I ever could again. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe eventually I I could. But I'm still of the mindset that like nothing's stopping me. I could you know, I could pour myself a drink, I could go out for a drink with friends, but I'm not going to have just one. I want to have many. And so for me, that's a, a a warning that it is not a healthy behavior for me to engage in. So now I want to shift and talk about what does that look like? I remember when I was a, a heavy drinker, um, I remember like just sitting in total judgment of people who didn't drink and being like... What is their deal? Like, how can you declare that you're just not going to drink anymore? That makes everybody else feel so uncomfortable. Oh yeah, that opens up so many conversations for my past self too. Of like, where was that all coming from? Like, where did those, where did those really angry feelings come from? Um, my guess is dependency. But nonetheless, there is this misconception that if you are hanging out with a non-drinker, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. If you are the non-drinker, chances are you're going to feel awkward and uncomfortable. I know. I've had several conversations with people who are like, yeah, I mean, I would like to stop drinking, but I just, but I also still want to have a social life. And there's this, you know, again, this like culturally supported misconception that we can either have a rich, engaging social life or we can have a sober life and, and they're not mutually exclusive. Um, my friends are all drinkers still and, um, uh, you know, I have family member family members who have really healthy relationships to alcohol, like that's a non-issue. It's all been about how I show up in those situations and how I manage my own behavior, making myself totally comfortable. And when I am comfortable and when you are comfortable, then naturally everybody else around you is going to feel comfortable as well. Um, as I said, I, one of the things I love about like this drinking culture, I, I love cocktail culture. I love the the nature of the craft i love thinking about specific ice that is going to go into the drink i love the mixing i love the slow pour nature of it that it you know it involves a few different ingredients and each one is really high quality and it's really ritualized in terms of how it gets mixed and stirred together and the beauty of how it's served to you so knowing that that is what i love I don't ever have to get rid of that. So to me, one of the first things I did um, when I committed to living like, alcohol-free, as I said, president of Club Soda, um, I was like, well, if I like all of the ritual about drinking, I'm going to keep the ritual of drinking. I'm just going to not put the alcoholic ingredients in the glass. So if you follow me on Instagram, at least Wilcox, you have probably seen pictures of my kitchen and you've probably seen um, this like vignette of Vintage barware because it's badass. So let's say I'm going to make a drink, I, and I will even do this on like Friday nights. You know, it's Friday night; it's the weekend in our house. That is like it, it used to be pizza and prosecco, and now it's just pizza, popcorn, movie night. Um, sometimes it's you know been a long week, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pour myself a drink. So I'll get out one of my gold glasses from the 50s and 60s. I'll get out my ice. Um, I have a beautiful soda maker. It's it's not a soda stream, but it's really similar. It's from Europe and it's gold and it's so nice. So I'll like make some fresh soda water or I'll go to the fridge and I, I usually have La Croix on hand or other like really fancy bougie water. And... um that's it. Like maybe I'll have some basil leaves or a cucumber slice or a lemon wedge, but I keep the ritual the same. I lay out all my ingredients, I mix them all together and I make myself this beautiful cocktail. It just happens to be alcohol free. Um, Another thing that I've done is that, you know, You probably know too that I'm like a taco enthusiast and I love Mexico. Um, And one of the things I love about Mexican food and culture is margaritas. And giving up margaritas was uh, hard. Like it was hard to let that go out of my life. And so I was, um, I don't know, I was at this like really cool restaurant downtown Toronto not too long ago. And I asked the the bartender, it was a Mexican restaurant and it was vegan. So I was like, if they're a vegan restaurant, they're also going to offer like alcohol-free stuff, no problem. I think it's called Rosalinda's. It's excellent. And um, anyway, so I asked the bartender if he would make me a virgin margarita and it was like, it was just not a big deal. He's like, of course. And he made me a virgin Paloma, which is my all-time favorite drink, which is like um, a a grapefruit margarita. He made both of those things. They were totally fantastic. I could not, I could not tell the difference, um, between one that had booze, one that didn't have booze. And that just cemented it for me. I was like, okay, so now I'm going to take this and I'm going to make this at home. And, you know, he taught me how to make them. I've looked up other recipes to make them more of my own. And now in my fridge, I also keep grapefruit, um, what's it called? It's, it's from the Caribbean, uh, Ting. And it's this grapefruit soda, this great grapefruit soda, um, and bottled lime juice, like fresh lime juice. So now, if it's been a quote unquote tough week or it's been something I want to celebrate, I'll make myself a margarita and I get out the salt, I rim this like fancy glass, jam it full of ice, in goes the grapefruit soda, in goes the lime juice, stir it together. And I have this like cheater margarita or this cheater paloma that does everything I want it to do except fuel or fill a void and fuel a dependency that's how I do it. That's how I make it my own. Same thing when I go out. You know, if I I am unmarried, I always say that I don't like to call myself single. I like to call myself um, a wife who just hasn't met her husband yet. Um, So for now, I do spend a great deal of time on my own. And um, if I do go out on my own, I'll, I'll go happily sit at the bar and I'll order one of those like, cheater drinks that I like, or um, I'll just order a bottle of sparkling water. It's so easy. Like you order a bottle of Pellegrino and a glass and nobody, like nobody judges you. Nobody thinks poorly of you. You're just sitting there doing your thing as a human, drinking your drink. And it's fantastic. Um, Add a lemon or a lime and you start to feel even fancier, right? Um, Another trick that I borrowed from pregnancy, when when you're in that part of your pregnancy when you don't want anybody to know yet if I would go out with friends in a large group, and let's say it's just one of those events you don't feel like... Sometimes you feel like you have to explain why you're not drinking. I I don't feel that way, but a lot of people still do, especially if you're early into the not drinking stages. Um, if you're at a point where you just don't even want to deal with it or you don't want get, to like, get a look or you're afraid you're going to get a look, something you can do is just talk to your server and tell them that you're not drinking, um, that you want to drink non-alcoholic beer, but can they pour it into a glass for you? So you can order like Beck's beer. I think it's Beck's um, that is alcohol-free. And instead of ordering it in the bottle where it says alcohol-free, um, just get them to pour it into a pint glass for you and then you feel like you're drinking beer. Everybody else thinks that you're drinking beer and it's just not a big thing. Same goes for um, soda water. You can... I I adopted this or yeah, I kind of stole this trick from somebody else I know that you can go to the bar and just ask for um, soda water in a rocks glass with a lime so it looks like you're drinking vodka and sodas all night and you're really just drinking soda water. Do what you need to do to feel comfortable in your own skin and your own surrounding. And if there's something socially that's holding you back that you feel like you are creating that peer pressure for yourself to not drink, you can easily find a way around it without ever feeling like you owe anybody an explanation of what, you, of what you're doing or what you're choosing. That's entirely up to you how you want to handle it, um, but please Please let go of the misconception that you can't have any fun if you're not drinking. On that note, let me tell you this when you do stop drinking, even if you stop drinking temporarily, you may very well find that your friend group changes. Some people are just really, really boring in the absence of alcohol. And I really found that like once there was, you know, if I was hanging around as a drinker, if I was hanging around people that I didn't particularly like, oh man, it was so easy. You just order another couple drinks and like suddenly that person becomes a lot more interesting because you feel like you've become a lot more interesting too when you're sober, there is no, none of this social lubrication happening. And so suddenly it's like, no, you're still just really boring. And I I don't think I can make this conversation work anymore. So you actually get to this new level of authenticity of people. you, You start hanging out with people you really choose to spend time with because you really like them versus like, the good enough people who you don't mind spending time with and they get better with you know, each shot of tequila that you take, for example. So there are a couple hacks for you. There's some context for you. But more than anything else, what I want this to be is an invitation for you. I want this to be an invitation to, to just simply observe your own habits and behavior. Some people are going to be listening to this and be like, this is just not a big deal. This is not a part of my life. Awesome that this is not for you then maybe you'll share this with a friend who you know you've had a conversation about this and and maybe you're just really interested in it. Maybe you're not interested at all. who knows? If you were somebody for whom this is resonating, again, I'm going to underline this for you once more. this is not me sitting and judging. This is me as a woman who definitely had a very very unhealthy dependency on alcohol that I don't wish to repeat. I had the wherewithal to almost maybe the fortune to have like this switch go off and tell me physically, no more booze for me. And after that physical change, I've been able to really socially observe my own relationship with alcohol and what our society deems as acceptable or not acceptable. And I think a lot of it is unacceptable and I think if you are somebody who is struggling with that void who is struggling with that reach I would really encourage you and invite you to look at what is your drug of choice if your drug of choice is alcohol even though it's incredibly socially acceptable to do I would really encourage you to start asking yourself very simply why why are you doing this? Why are you choosing it? How is it showing up in your life? How is it making your life better? Or how is it making your life worse? How is it affecting your life? You know, how is it affecting your relationships? Just start to observe all of those like ask the question and observe the answer. And if it's something that you feel is like, just like me, you're feeling in that kind of slippery slope territory, maybe this will have provided some inspiration and some tips to just start. Um, if you want to dig deeper on what that void is and where it comes from, I'd really encourage you to reach out to me. Um, we can talk about all that emotional blockage and patterns and this like core wound of pain and where it comes from and even better, how to heal it. You know, how to go through the motions of healing and naming those emotions Um healing them, and then carrying on with new behavior and new practices that make you feel even more like yourself and better uh, in a really, really healthy way. So there you go, folks. Um, As always, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope this has given you a conversation starter, you know, if for yourself or on your way to work, maybe you're going out with friends this weekend and you want to, you're going to bring this up. I don't know. I hope, this acts as like an agent of change that it just plants a little seed of something you've never thought about before and that you start to see things in a new light. Um, I would love it. Just love it. If you would share a picture of yourself on Instagram and tag me at least Wilcox, um, share a comment of you, of your feedback of, of you listening. Um, share it with a friend, do whatever you want to do just to show that you, uh, that you're getting something out of this. I would really love that. Make sure you subscribe. So you get all the new episodes and, uh, keep being yourself. You are so lovely. Thank you.